Overnight, more than four inches of rain an hour coming down. Millions waking up to a scene of epic flooding. This storm is expected to stay over the Texas coast for days, dumping more than two feet of rain before moving to Louisiana. Nearly 7,000 people have been rescued. There they, there are, they are. There they are. Oh, my We're coming goodness. to get you. Oh, my goodness. We need help. A whole bunch of families displaced. It's lost everything. Last week, Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas, causing catastrophic flooding and forcing thousands to leave their homes. Dozens have lost their lives. President Trump first responded with a series of tweets about the storm, mostly about the unprecedented levels of rain and commending the efforts of emergency response personnel. On Monday, President Trump promised federal assistance for Texas and said that he believed it would be approved quickly by Congress. Uh, we expect to have requests on our desk fairly soon, and we think that uh, Congress will feel very much the way I feel, very, in a very bipartisan way. That will be nice. But we think you're going to have what you need, and it's going to go fast. Texas is Trump then headed to Texas on Tuesday. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. In a speech to supporters outside a firehouse in Corpus Christi, Trump stuck to the theme of those initial tweets. He focused primarily on the strength of the storm and the administration's response. All of this, of course, brings us to our can he do that question of the week. Can Trump get emergency response funding for Texas as promised? And how does Trump's response to this natural disaster compare to that of past presidents? This is can he do that? a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. We'll talk to former FEMA director under George W. Bush, R. David Paulison, about what it takes to recover from disaster. But first, congressional reporter Mike DeBonis is back on the show to break down how relief funding works and what we can expect in the next few weeks and few months. Mike, thanks so much for coming back. My pleasure. So let's start here. What policies currently exist that help us in disasters? What do we have now? Well, the, the Federal Emergency Management Agency has a disaster relief fund that's funded every year with the expectation that there's going to be some level of natural disasters that the federal government's going to have to respond to. The issue is that they're accounting for much smaller events than what we're seeing with Harvey. So when you're faced with something like Harvey or like Katrina or Sandy or some other types of events where you're talking about issues in the tens of billions of dollars, that's when Congress has to step in and start thinking about additional aid that hasn't been already appropriated just as part of their usual preparedness cycle. So that's what normally happens anytime there's a major sort of catastrophic event like this. We turn to Congress to get more funding for emergency response. Right. Well, I mean, anything of this scale. I mean, you know, typically when there's a tornado or a more isolated flooding event, you'll hear thing. You'll hear the president declare a federal disaster, and what that means is he's making through executive order that disaster eligible to get aid from that FEMA relief fund. President Trump did that really even before Harvey hit back on Friday. And at the time, though, there was only about $3 billion left in the FEMA relief fund. A lot of that $3 billion has already been sort of obligated for other projects. And there was probably less than $2 billion left that could immediately be used for Harvey relief. We're already talking about this being in the tens of billions of dollars. Compare that to like Hurricane Sandy, where Congress ultimately coughed up more than $50 billion 
I think it's fair to say that we're we may be in that same range. Is this this money, this multiple billions of dollars, where does it come from? Where does it come from is a great question. Ultimately, uh, will likely be borrowed from the Treasury, meaning that the Treasury is going to issue debt and we're going to spend based on that debt. Typically, this sort of emergency spending hasn't been offset by cuts elsewhere in the budget. That's what happened with uh, Hurricane Sandy. That's what happened with Katrina. But, you know, there are certainly folks, particularly conservative Republicans, who believe that any government spending at this point needs to be offset. So what are the challenges that Congress faces now to get Democrats and Republicans to agree on how to how to get this money? Well, number one, they have to come up with a number. They have to figure out how much they need and how soon they need it. And then they need to sort of look at it in the context of everything else that needs to happen. Congress has a lot of things to do this month. The usual federal spending authority runs out at the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th, meaning that there's a chance of a government shutdown at that date. You've got uh, a debt ceiling increase that needs to get done. You've got the National Flood Insurance Program, which needs to be reauthorized at the end of the month. You've got the Children's Health Insurance Program, another huge federal program that also is going to expire. So you have all of these things coming together this month. And the question is, how much and how do you attach the Harvey issue to everything else? with firsthand experience deploying resources in times of natural disaster is former FEMA Administrator R. David Paulison. President George W. Bush called in David two weeks after Katrina made landfall to lead the recovery efforts. He explains what it takes to help a community recover from disaster and what role presidents play in these circumstances. Here's David. What were the biggest problems you had to solve when you came in at that time? Uh, they were they obviously took over a, a mess. So a couple of things. One, FEMA did not have the right people in place to manage disasters. So the president gave me carte blanche to bring people in that I, I knew had 20 and 30 years experience dealing with disasters, and we started doing that. So I made a presentation to the secretary, then to the president, on how our incident command system works and what we needed to do to start getting a handle where things were much better coordinated than they obviously they were in the first kickoff of uh, Katrina. Uh, what that did was it put all the decision makers in the same room at the same time. So that system really fell in place very well and allowed us to get a handle on making sure that the work that we did was much more coordinated than we saw, what we saw in the past. So in terms of funding and resources, what does a recovery effort really need? Harvey and Katrina were, were, were very similar in some of the needs. You have a, a large population that's being displaced. They're going to be out of their homes for a long period of time. They're not going to be able to go back for a while. So the first thing you have is some very temporary housing, the shelters we see set up in the uh, convention centers. That cannot last very long. So the next step is to look for what I call permanent temporary housing. In other words, moving people into some decent living space, into apartments, sometimes hotels, so, you know, working with your uh, housing authority, local housing authority, and then also HUD at the national level to find housing for these people because you can't leave them in the shelters. And in terms of getting those resources, does the funding come from the state? Does it largely come from the federal government? How are those resources divided? The way the system works with a disaster declaration and it's done county by county. The initial is that federal government picks up 
75% of that cost, and the state picks up 25% of the cost. Now, if it gets really, really bad and goes in, it gets astronomical, like we did in Katrina, we went to 90, 90, 10, 90% from the federal government and 10% from the state. And then in some instances in Katrina, we, we ended up picking up 100% of that. And how was Bush able to get a bill passed with that much money? How was Congress able able to pass a, a Katrina recovery bill? The money that initially there was already there in the disaster relief fund, that's where the pocket of money comes out of. And as that gets depleted, uh, at least while I was a theme administrator, any time they got low because of the amount of disasters, Congress would always put money back into the disaster relief fund to make sure we did, simply didn't run out uh, because of the enormity of, of the crisis. Right, right. To that point, how how prepared would you say we are for these disasters? Are we set up to be more prepared now than we were, let's say, before Katrina, or are we kind of seeing history repeat itself? No, I think we are as an institution, and by that meant I mean by the federal government, the state, and the locals. I see people, I see those agencies getting much more prepared. The concern that I have is with us, uh, the the residents, the ones that live here, <laughs> and that could be anywhere. The further we get away from a catastrophic event, the more complacent we become. The Hurricane Wilma came through South Florida and was not a huge storm, but yet there were tens of thousands of people lined up for food and water the day the winds died down. So that tells me that we're not prepared. They didn't have three or four days' supply of food. We didn't have the catastrophic flooding. We had wind damage, but people's homes were intact, uh, and so there was simply no reason not to have enough supplies to get you by for three or four days. Now, now... There are, there are some people who can't do that. You know, there's some people who either physically, fiscally, or mentally are incapable of taking care of themselves. And that's the one that government should be taking care of. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we should be taking some personal responsibility for our, to take care of ourselves and our families. So let's pivot a little bit to talk about some key leadership positions here. President Trump hasn't filled several key positions in his administration, positions like National Hurricane Center Director and Head of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He said he doesn't want to fill those positions in order to reduce the size of government. How important, from your perspective, from somebody who's led FEMA, are these positions in moments of crisis like this? I'm not overly concerned, and I'll I'll tell you why. This happens every administration change. You have a period of time where the political appointees are not there, but the career people who are there who really know how to, how to manage and they really know how to run the organization, uh, they step up every time, and, and they, they actually like to do that. It gives them more experience to step up and, and manage the organization. So I think for, the, for that period of time, I think that's okay. So, yeah, I'm not overly concerned about it. Do you want these people in place? Yeah, because that's your policy people. That's where, how you make the changes you want to make. And, uh, you know, the president needs to move on and do that. But I don't think it's going to have a, uh, an impact on how this the disaster is being handled. And how much impact can an individual president actually have in circumstances like this? Can a president really, you know, get this right? Is there certain things that a president should most certainly be doing in times like this? Well, I think so. And, you know, there are people, yeah, it's a, you know, like the president going down to this disaster area. You know, it's, it's darned if you do and darned if you don't. Because uh, if you don't go down, people say, well, you're ignoring. And if you do go down, then you're getting in the way. So I think it was good for the president to go down. And I think that's I think that's very important. And according to reporting down in Texas, it looks like President Trump hasn't actually visited individually with victims. And he hasn't necessarily seen really firsthand some of the disaster 
that exists there. Is this important? Do you think it's important for the people of a community to really, you know, feel close to a president or have a president reach out so directly to them? Is that helpful at a time like this or is that just political and not necessary? What's your take? Yeah, well, I wasn't aware of that part of it, but so without commenting directly on President Trump, I think it is important for the people to see the president or their leaders, the governor, the mayors out there, and seeing exactly what they're dealing with. So how would you generally, just generally, compare what you've seen from Trump's response to this disaster to that of other presidents and past natural disasters? I, I think the response to this disaster has been, has been excellent. I really do. It's, I, what I really like is the coordination I've seen between the federal government, the state, and the local communities. And then that is so important. We didn't see that in Katrina. There was a total dysfunctional system in, uh, in Katrina. But this one has gone very well. And, uh, and now it's an overwhelming event. So, you know, sooner or later, you're going to hear people start complaining about things. But, uh, but the truth is that, that the, the governor has thrown everything he has at it. Uh, the federal government has thrown everything they have at it. And the locals have, have responded extremely well. Everybody's looking out for one thing, and that's the safety, the search and rescue and the safety of the residents. So, and and uh, you can't get any better than that. The, you, know, you saw the president uh, sign a, a pre-landfall declaration. That's something we put in place after Katrina, where we can op- open the disaster relief fund for FEMA to spend money out of to move things in early. You know, move equipment, move people, uh, supplies, you know, ambulances, buses, whatever they needed down there. You saw generators moving in early. Uh, because the Texas needed needed some big big generators, they knew they were going to lose some of them. Uh, so all that happened ahead of time, and, and that's uh, that was uh, um, another thing that uh, uh, that we put in place back then from lessons learned from Katrina. And we see this now two administrations down doing doing exactly the same thing again. So in terms of presidential authority when it comes to these natural disasters, it sounds like the president can sign a pre-landfall relief declaration before the storm hits land and then issue a disaster declaration when it becomes a disaster and then visit the location afterward. Are there other things that the president has authority to do when it comes to natural disasters? The president signs every disaster declaration. When the governor makes a request, it flows through FEMA and FEMA says yes, you know, that we agree with that, and they'll send it to the White House for the president's signature. So the president has that authority. The president has the authority to, uh, like you saw with Katrina, where the president had uh, Title Ten troops down in, uh, in New Orleans and Louisiana, you know, not for security but for logistics. The president has, does have a lot of authority to provide assistance to the states that need help. Mike, we've heard about the authority a president has to issue disaster declarations and to to go down and visit, but really the rest of the funding comes from decisions made in Congress. Let's talk a little bit about those specific options. So one option is that this could all be rolled into that the budget proposal for September 30th, for the end of September. And that way, it might make it more likely that the budget passes and that we avoid a government shutdown if this Harvey funding is rolled into it. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I should explain that, you know, there's a very good chance that what happens ahead of September 30th is that Congress basically passes a stopgap delay that just delays the negotiations a few months, probably to the end of the year. And what I'm hearing is that as a part of that stopgap, they would add sort of a down payment of aid funding for Texas, and that would sort of grease the wheels to help people vote for that stopgap. And then there would be a larger discussion 
over the course of months culminating in December about not only how to fund the entire federal government for 2018, but to talk about billions and billions of dollars more for Harvey. That seems like a likely outcome. It's it's too early to say that it's certainly going to happen, but I, it, it makes a lot of sense on the, the politics and the policy. What are the other options? I mean, the other options is that there's a debt, you know, the debt ceiling deadline is coming up. It could be rolled into that in some way. I think Republicans have a really serious problem passing a debt ceiling increase, getting their members to vote for it. And one way to do that would be to say, we're going to attach the disaster funding to the debt ceiling increase. That way, members could go home and say, instead of saying, oh, I voted to increase the national debt, they can say, oh, I voted to help folks who were hurt uh, by Hurricane Harvey. And I absolutely stand by that. So a lot of Trump's current budget proposals include things like cutting money toward FEMA and cutting certain environmental programs. But now he's he's repeatedly said that he believes that we're going to pass this Harvey funding, that that it's going to you know be something that he can achieve and, and bring to the people of Texas. How do those two things work together? You know, as far as Capitol Hill is concerned, they're not really all that connected. You know, the, the president put out his budget earlier this year. Yes, that budget included things like cutting the national flood insurance program, cutting the 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 FEMA's flood mapping component. It cut disaster block grants for FEMA. But Congress is not obligated to follow the president's lead on this, and then they simply aren't going to. Basically, all those proposals are going to be sort of, you know, tossed down the memory hole. So you've mentioned the National Flood Insurance Program. Can you explain what that is and why it needs to be reauthorized? If you buy flood insurance in this country, it is ultimately underwritten by the federal government with very, very few exceptions. There has been no real private flood insurance market. In other words, private companies have not assumed the risk of flood insurance for nearly 50 years now, since 1968, when the National Flood Insurance Program was created. Um, And that was created because private insurers weren't writing flood insurance policies anymore because after a number of very costly storms in in the mid to late 60s, They simply decided that these events were becoming too costly, too unpredictable, too risky for them to participate in the market. The federal government stepped in, and it's it's handled flood insurance policies ever since. Now, right now, the program is $24 billion in debt to the Treasury. There's no real expectation that the people who are federal policyholders are ever going to pay that back. So at some point, Congress is going to have to act to either forgive that debt or leave it in place and give the program more borrowing authority to keep it active. And I think that given the the scope of what's happened with Harvey, that's pretty likely. So that said, there are plenty of people who think the program needs to be reformed, that it needs to more accurately price the risk of building homes and businesses in flood-prone areas, but you have a whole lot of members of Congress who represent those areas whose constituents buy flood insurance and are not at all interested in having their premiums rise by 15, 20 percent or more per year to accurately price the risk of living in these places. And so what you have is a debate in Congress, and it sort of transcends partisan lines. It's sort of beyond ideology, which is it's it's folks who represent flood-prone territory versus, in particular, 
some ideological conservatives who think that the the program really needs to be scaled back. But there's no real expectation that that's going to happen. And the conversations I've had in the last couple of days are, listen, we're not going to get into this philosophical debate while there are thousands of homes underwater and people are watching every day as people's livelihoods are being washed away. Yeah. So, so disaster relief has traditionally been a really bipartisan issue of agreement where people have been able to agree that we should fund certain efforts to relieve uh, disaster areas and such. Is it still the case that there is bipartisan agreement about this? Well, it depends. And more and more, it depends on where and who is affected. Since Katrina, I think you've seen a more and more a cadre of conservative Republicans stand up and say, listen, you know, these events are terrible disasters and they're very well maybe a federal role to play and there is a federal role to play, but we can't treat them as blank checks to be adding to the federal budget deficit and the national debt. And uh, basically the, the push has been to offset that funding by making cuts elsewhere or finding ways to pay for it, typically that don't involve raising taxes. And that's and, where Trump falls as well, right? Well, Trump has not really spoken on this issue. You hear this more from the more ideological f- faction in the in the House of Representatives, the, the Republican Study Committee, which is sort of the in-house conservative vanguard, kind of came up with this whole notion back in 2005 when you know Mike Pence, now the vice president, was chairman of that group, and he he basically said we got to offset this funding, this spending. That's been a, a view ever since. It certainly complicated the fight for Sandy. There were a lot of Republicans who voted against that bill, including uh, Republicans from Texas, Senator Cruz, Senator Cornyn, and all but one Texas Republican House member opposed that bill, in part because it was offset, in part because they believed that it funded things that were not directly related to the effects of the storm. And now you've seen in the last few days sort of this sniping between the the, the folks who are affected by Sandy, particularly the Republicans in New York and New Jersey, whose districts were affected against the Texans who had voted against the Sandy bill. But the New York and New Jersey guys are saying, you know, you guys weren't there for me when we needed your help, but I'll be there for you to rest assured. But I'm not going to let you forget or whitewash the fact that you guys did not step up and vote for this bill. And expect to hear a lot more of that over the next few weeks, if not months. Yeah. All right, Mike, that brings us to our final question, which is, of course, our can he do that question. And in this case, it's can Trump get emergency response funding for Harvey recovery? Yes, absolutely. And he almost certainly will. The question is, what sort of fights is he going to have in the in the meantime? And that's going to be the, uh, the part for us reporters to watch. But if you're if you're a victim of the storm, if you're looking for the federal government to stand to step in, it could be a messy experience, and it may may be stressful. But Congress, at the end of the day, is probably going to do the right thing. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. You guys can follow Mike DeBonis on Twitter at at Mike DeBonis, or you can follow me, Allison Michaels, at Allison Mikes. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? This week, we got a ton of listener requests and episode ideas. Thank you so much for sending those, and thank you so much for listening. 
Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the intrepid Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks and logo art from Loren Boglio. If you like Can He Do That? You should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. Or try Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, where Jonathan brings you the voices you need to hear on the topics you try to avoid. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.